Kia ora and welcome to the Snell's Beach Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that you enjoy this episode and pray that God will bless you abundantly. For more information about our church, please visit our website, sbbchurch.nz or follow at sbbchurch on Facebook or Instagram. the stone away the stones rolled away Jesus says Lazarus come out and sure enough Lazarus comes out and then Jesus of course the pierce de resistance Jesus himself crucified died buried but rises again hallelujah right it's all wonderful, and then we we we, we the, the, the the gospels end on this you know res note of this resurrected uh, Christ, and we move into the book of Acts, and um, it's very exciting. There's this wonderful outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, and many people are joining the church, and everybody has everything in in common, and they're selling their possessions to give to the church, and then ah. Uh, we have this story of Ananias and Sapphira. And the story of Ananias and Sapphira is not a, not a life story, is it? It's a death story. Uh, two people struck down dead. And I don't know about you, but their offense, in the great scheme of things, doesn't seem to be all that great. I mean, at least it was partially noble, right? 
They're giving money to the church, a substantial amount of money, I suspect, because land was a very valuable uh, asset then as, a, as it is today. And sure, they kept some of the money back for themselves, but even Peter acknowledges that um, they were entitled to do with the field what they liked to do with the field. You know, nobody was holding them to a, a, a gun to their head, and if they sold the field, they were uh, entitled to disperse the money as, the, as they saw fit. Problem seems to be that they lied about it. Uh, they let it appear as though all the money uh, that came from the sale of the field came to the church, which was not true. And yes, that's wrong. And it's a sin. But I don't know about you, but I might have thought there were worse things like that, uh, worse sins than that. I mean, let's take um, Peter himself, for example, the interrogator here. And Peter doesn't have a completely clean record, does he? I mean, Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples. He was of the inner circle of the inner circle. Jesus uh, heard most of Jesus' marvelous teachings, um, saw most of his miracles, was there on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was glorified. And, um, uh, you know, very, very close, intimate relationship with Jesus. But when the pressure was on, he caved, didn't he? He denied Jesus three times. Fortunately for Peter, Peter was shown a lot of mercy and a lot of grace, and uh, he's restored and, of course, becomes the foundation upon which the church is built. And tell me, did uh, Peter show a lot of mercy here? Well, I don't think so, really. Um, you know, if I had seen just seen Ananias drop down dead. And then Sapphira comes in a few hours later. I think at that point, I think I probably would have forgotten about the gift to the church, right? I probably would have said something like, hey, um, Sapphira, um, you might want to sit down. I've got some rather bad news. Your husband's just... Um, uh, snuffed it. I probably wouldn't have said snuffed it. Uh, but Peter doesn't do that, does he? Uh, in fact, he lays a trap uh, because he asks uh, Sapphira about the money um, uh, that they got for, for the land. Uh, and unfortunately, Sapphira falls into the trap and uh, she drops down dead too. And sure, what she did was wrong. Uh, but you know, for many years it all seemed, and perhaps to some extent still does seem a little bit harsh to me. And a scripture I really sort of wrestled with. And just as an aside, I think when we come to a scripture which we don't really um, understand or we can't quite um, fathom, I think sometimes we kind of tempted to sort of seize on a rather simplistic explanation, which doesn't really answer the questions. 
uh, doesn't really resolve the difficulty, but, but, but we're so anxious to sort of uh, uh, vindicate our trust in the word and uh, vindicate our faith that we seize on that sort of rather simplistic explanation and we sort of try and make that do. But it never quite sits uh, properly or, or easily within our soul. I think that's a mistake. I think if you ever come to a scripture that you really wrestle with or really uh, struggle with, it's better to maybe put it aside for a while, come back to it, mull over it, pray over it, put it on the shelf again, come back to it a little bit later. And I think over time, what you will find is God just gives you a little bit more light, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And I think God has given me a little bit more light. I'm not sure that I'm entirely yet there yet. I still think it's a little harsh but there is something which I think I do understand about Ananias and Sapphira. And it's this. It's the desire to look good in front of one's fellow men and uh, fellow women. To paint a picture of oneself that is better than it really is. Have you ever had that desire? Have you ever had that desire to look good in front of other people? Sometimes I look at my Facebook posts, my social media posts, and I review them. And boy, do I look good. So for some reason, it never occurs to me, it never occurs to me to post, had a blazing row with the wife this morning. Had a meltdown with the kids at the checkout at the supermarket. Last Sunday, traveling to church, got a speeding ticket. Never occurs to me to post that kind of, kind of stuff. Incidentally, a couple of Sundays ago, driving to church, I did get a... You've got to watch that Maharangi East Road, I tell you. You know, if you read my, uh, if you read, if you judge my life according to my Facebook posts, you think my life was perfect. And to some extent, <clears throat> that's good. That's the idea. But um, it's not good, isn't it? You know, it's it's the it's the creation of an impression and a, and an illusion. Sometimes I think all our lives are an act in order to create that illusion. It's a problem today and it was definitely a big problem in biblical times. Do you remember Jesus railing against the Pharisees? Oh, you love your phylacteries wide and the tassels on your garments long. Oh, and you love to be seen there on the street corners praying and you like to let everybody know when you're fasting and doing it tough. And you love the places of honor at banquets and the important seats in the synagogues. And when you give to the needy, what do you do? Do you keep quiet about it? No. You organize a band, people with trumpet. I'm giving to the needy here, folks. Look at me. Everything they do, Jesus said, is for what? It's in order to be seen by men. What drives them is that public approval. It's not love for God. It's not love for, not compassion for the needy. It's to be seen by men. 
And in spite of all Jesus' warnings about this kind of behavior, right at the very outset of the founding of the Christian church, I suggest we see the same thing happening again. We see a show of religious devotion, but it's an act. It's not quite real. It's not quite true. You see, the giving to the church was a noble act, but it's been corrupted. It's been uh, polluted by um, self-interest and self-grandizement. Their gift is a lie. And as Peter says, you're not lying to people here. You're lying to God. And that's serious. And they're both struck down dead. And I want to share with something that I've learned, and I've had to learn it the hard way. Many bitter lessons. You'd think I would have learned it the first time, but um, um, it took me a long time to learn this. That every time I've done something in order to try and make myself look good, I've ended up, to use a highfalutin theological expression with egg all over my face. Let me tell you a story. I hate this story. Um, I, I hate it even more than uh, the Ananias and Sapphira story because it, it concerns me. Um, but uh, when I worked for World Vision in the United States, I uh, worked for a department of World Vision uh, publications, there was also another department called Media Relations, which uh, tried to uh, negotiate for coverage of World Vision activities uh, in the media. Media Relations Department had been talking to a producer on the Good Morning America show. That is one of the top morning news shows in the United States, nationwide show. And uh, the producer was kind of interested in doing a story on World Vision and in, on a World Vision donor who was doing something interested with World Vision and would make a nice uh, human interest story for the show. And nobody could find a story. Well, I was working in publications. I was an editor for World Vision magazine. And I had stumbled across a story about a family in Portland that was doing some great stuff with World Vision, and it was a great human interest story. And I passed it on to media relations. I said, look, there's this, there's this family in Portland. They're great. Um, pitch this. And they did. And the producer thought, it's a great story. We'll put it on. And sure enough, they put it on. It was a segment about six minutes long. They got this family in. They got uh, Will Vision in. Uh, they flew them into New York. They got Will Vision people in to give some context and uh, background. And we were on for about six minutes. And that, my friends, is huge. Like when you think one, uh, to, to book a 30-second ad on one of these shows costs you about half a million dollars, it's millions of dollars of free publicity. And there was a great uh, rejoicing in the house uh, uh, that, uh, that week after the show went to air. And Steve, oh, Steve, uh, was the head of media relations. He, uh, he sent an email 
to all the people in the World Vision US offices um, uh, around the country. About a thousand people work for uh, World Vision US in various parts of the country. Steve didn't work uh, in my office, he worked in um, Pennsylvania and I was on the West Coast. Anyway, anyway, sent this email talking about this thing on the show, thanked everybody who had been involved, anybody who had the slightest tedious weediest connection with getting the story on air, gotta thank you. You know, the people who organized the logistics, the people who um, were negotiating with the producers, the people who got on the, uh, who, who actually got on the show and presented the message, and of course the, the family from Portland. Everybody got a mention in this, um, uh, in this email, which went to a thousand staff all over the country. With one rather glaring exception. You'll be sad to learn that there was not one single smidgen of a mention of James Eddis. Well, hands up if you think I might have felt just a little bit miffed. <laughs> miffed! I was livid! So I sent an email to Steve when I was a bit steamed up. Oh, I wish I'd never sent that email. Oh, no, 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 no. Anyway, I sort of pointed out to Steve rather pointedly, uh, well, you know, mate, if, if, you, if, if it hadn't been for me, you wouldn't have had a story. Oh, I wish I'd never sent that email. What did Steve do? He forwarded my email to every single person in the office. Yes, my friends, and I, and of course it wasn't, you know, me getting a pat on the back, it was more me trying to blow my own trumpet, and, um, and I got in a huge, big lot of trouble for it, actually. Possibly quite killed my career at World Vision US, it never, nothing ever seemed to go right after that. You see, um, for the moment there I'd lost my way, right? I'd, I'd completely lost my way. No longer was I thinking about advancing the cause of the poor or of uh, the work that World Vision was doing in order to assist and benefit the poor. I'd, I'd, I'd somehow got it all tied up with my own self-importance and uh, aggrandizement. Uh, my friends learned from my mistake. Learn from my mistake. If you truly want to serve Jesus, you must deny yourself, you take up your cross, and follow him alone. And denying yourself means giving up any thought of your own self-interest and self-aggrandizement. And in particular, give up any thought of pursuing your own self-interest in the guise of religious devotion, which I think is... Ananias and Sapphira's mistake. Now this uh, sort of thing can take many forms, by the way. The, 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 the corruption of your Christian devotion with uh, self-interest. 
Now, one form it takes is the seeking of positions of leadership within the church. And people seek uh, positions not so much to serve the church, but to serve their own sense of self-importance and their own uh, ego. Uh, have you ever met people in the church like that? Uh, I'd have to say I have once or twice. Um, and I think a lot of tensions in churches can in fact be traced to this kind of jockeying for power and influence. Uh, because when such people are denied positions of power and influence, what happens? Well, they create a fuss and they get irritated and they get a bit snarly. And, uh, you know, things should be being done their way and not this other way that you're doing it. And if you don't do it my way, well, I, I'm going to cause a bit of a scene. And, um, yeah, and I'm going to go home and sulk and take my ball back. Yes, ever met that sort of thing going on? Of course, nobody ever admits that that's what the root of the thing is. They'll always sort of say, oh, no, it's for the good of the church and for its faithfulness to the gospel. That's, that's why I'm doing or saying these things. Don't believe a bit of it, my friends. It's all to do with power and control, control and self-interest. That's what it is. Moses gives us a wonderful example of just the opposite, doesn't it? Was it was, did Moses sort of say, you know, I know what's what and what needs to be done and how things should be done here? Not at all, right? God says to Moses, Moses, I want you to uh, lead the people out of bondage in Egypt and I want you to take them to the promised land. Oh, Moses, Moses, oh, please not me, Lord. Please not me. See, Moses was aware of his own vulnerabilities. He was conscious not of his strengths, but of his weaknesses. I, I can't speak well, Lord. I can't lead this uh, people. You know, it's just not. Up, it's just not up to me. Well, but God said, "No, you're the man who's going to do the job." And uh, the interesting thing is. If you ever try and elevate yourself, you'll be humiliated. But if you humble yourself, and if you're conscious of your own weaknesses and your own inadequacies, you're a person whom God can use and whom God will use. Did God use Moses? Oh, goodness me. Is there a greater man in the Old Testament than Moses? No. See, God, Moses humiliated himself and God elevated him. Moses does become the man who leads his people to the promised land. He becomes the great lawgiver. He's the man who speaks to God face to face as a friend. I don't think anybody, as far as I'm aware, in the Old Testament is ascribed that honor. Moses was humble. God lifted him up. There are other ways 
um, that self-interest can intrude into um, our devotion, our devotion to God and to the faith. Uh, one um, uh, one example is uh, through the love of money. Um, Fortunately, I don't think it's a huge problem for us, but <laughs> uh, I, and this is another example from the States. I'm sorry, there's so many examples from the States, but there's a lot of love of money in the States. Uh, well, there's a lot of love of money everywhere, actually, you know, but um, you, you know that the television evangelists, which people go on about from time to time, and uh, this preoccupation with money, and I'd heard about it, and I knew it was kind of bad. I, Honestly, my friends, I had no idea. I remember one night, I was a bit bored, I was flicking through cable television channels. That's where the television evangelists lurk. And, you know, come to, come to this channel, there's, there's, there's two pastors, and they're sitting around a, a table. I'll never, I'll never forget this as long as I live, they're sitting there. And uh, they're talking about the great things they're doing for the Lord, you know. They've got a crusade going off here and a mission going off there all over the country, all over the, all over the states. Got to be in New York and then I've got to be in Texas and then I've got to be in Portland. And, and all, I had to be going all over the place, you know. Ministry, you know, thousands were coming to the meetings and, you know, and... Uh, and um, you know, both of them, uh, they said, you know, we just can't cope with commercial airline schedules. We, th those commercial airlines can't get us to where we need to be when we need uh, to be there. And the, the gospel's suffering, my friends. Oh, it's suffering, yeah. That's why we both need a private jet. And... They do. They, they, these television evangelists fly about in private jets, you know. Um, they, they will say, of course, that in order to, to be blessed, you have to give, you have to be generous, which is absolutely true. But what they mean is you have to give to me, my ministry, you know. That's how blessing comes about. And I'd suggest to you that the love of money has intruded and it's corrupted the love for the gospel. And it, just like Ananias and Sapphira, you know, there's something noble there. I wouldn't say that all the time, every television evangelist I've heard on the television has preached badly. Sometimes they preach very well. Sometimes they preach very well. Just as um, Ananias and Sapphira, the giving of the money to the church was a noble act. But it's become corrupted it's become mixed up with something else. It's become mixed up with a love for something else, which is wrong, which is not pure. Another way that our love for the gospel can be corrupted. Oh, man, this is another story from the United States. I, I have to um, try and remember I'm back in New Zealand. But... Um, and that's through politics. And uh, it's especially true in the United States, but it is also true here. And it's where a person's uh, political 
ambitions and desires have somehow got sort of mingled up with the gospel and corrupted. And people think that the, their um, political values, their political values are somehow God's values and must uh, uh, um, be pursued in, in, in that way. Uh, and if you don't really agree with my politics, then, you know, you can't really be a Christian, right? You know, so the, um, and that the people who represent my p political values, are God's people. And uh, it's <laughs> kind of funny in the States because I saw this both ways. In the church, a lot of people I met, friends in the church, tended to be right-leaning sort of people. And uh, uh, they thought, uh, many of them, uh, or certainly one or two of them, that Donald Trump was God's man in the White House. And uh, I also, uh, many of my friends, uh, many colleagues at World Vision were quite sort of left-leaning people. Uh, and they were equally convinced that Donald Trump was a devil's man in the White House. Well, one of them must have been wrong. <laughs> uh, I think uh, perhaps both of them were wrong. Um, I think what what happens is, and by the way, um, I don't think it's a sin to vote for somebody like Donald Trump. Um, uh, I personally wouldn't myself, but you know, it's, if, if that accords with your political views, that's that's fine. But I do think it is concerning. I do think it's concerning when these political ideas get incorporated into our Christian faith and uh, witness. You see, if you go around with the idea that, say, Donald Trump is God's man in the White House, then if you need to try and keep him in the White House, and if that involves some kind of violent insurrection, you'll be prepared to go for it. And people have been prepared to go for it. The Capitol building in uh, Washington, D.C. last month uh, was uh, stormed in a violent protest in which five people died. Quite a number of people waving placards in that protest were waving sort of Christian-sounding placards. Jesus Christ is my savior. Donald Trump is my president. You see how the two things have kind of got meshed together? And if you start to think that your political ideas are somehow God's ideas, you'll stop at nothing, my friends. And most of the most heinous horrendous acts in human history have been people pursuing certain kinds of political and power objectives and saying, well, this is what God thinks. Well, no, it's not. It's what they think. And they've substituted one for the other. And, it, and, and if you think like that, it's a blank check. It's a blank check. You can do what you like because you persuade yourself that God somehow approves what you're doing. And if five people get killed in a 
a violent protest storming the heart of American democracy, ah, well, so be it. It's dangerous stuff, my friends. Don't have anything to do with that kind of stuff. My friends, gospel is not to be used for furthering our political ambitions. It's not to be used uh, for worldly prestige. Uh, it's uh, not to be used to try and make money. Uh, it's not to be used to try and somehow secure power and influence for ourselves. Now, I mentioned uh, before that um, uh, Moses has been a fine example to follow, right? And he is. But there's an even better example. Who's a better example? Jesus, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, Jesus who being in the very form of God, but did not count equality with God, I think, to be grasped, but emptied himself, gave up any kind of worldly pretension. You know, born in a remote part of the uh, Roman Empire lived in a backward part of that province, Galilee. Born in a stable. Spent a couple of years fleeing Herod and lived as a refugee in Egypt. Washed the disciples' feet. Triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Not in a private jet. Not even on a white charger. Not even on a donkey. On a donkey's colt. You see, everything about Jesus gives up all those, that tinsel, all those baubles, all those pathetic little things that we find so valuable. He had no time for such things. Coming on a little donkey. Well, let's not have any time for such things ourselves. Either. Let's empty ourselves self. Let's all be like Jesus. Amen? Uh, and uh, we don't have a final hymn tonight, so I'll, uh, I'll just pray. This morning, I should say, not tonight. Kia ora, and thank you for listening to the latest episode from Snell's Beach Baptist Church podcast. We hope that you were encouraged today by the Word of God. For more information about our church, please visit our website, www.sbbchurch.nz. May the Lord bless you and keep you safe this week. Kia ora whanau.